Remember, this is the Apostle Peter who is writing this epistle in the 16th verse. says, For we, being the apostles, have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, or we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, isn't that power? I could just preach right there. Peter says, this is not a fable. These miracles that you read about, about Jesus, and these things that he did that confound any person, when you think about the supernatural power of God that was displayed in his life, Peter said, this is not a fable. No one's made this up. This is the truth. We were eyewitnesses to his glory. He said, for he received, being Jesus, from God the Father, honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. And that was upon what's known as the mount, which he'll bring clarification to that in a moment. This is my beloved son. This is what that voice spoke on that day. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. Peter said, we heard this ourselves. It was not thunder it was not some type of fabrication by some type of religious institution trying to create a new uh, sect of belief. But he said, we heard this supernatural voice on the mount when we were with him in the holy mount. And thus, as a result, Peter is taking a pretty bold stand. As he's looking back to the three and a half years of ministry with Jesus and that particular day when he heard a voice from heaven confirming the person of Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. He said, therefore, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, a more certain word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Now, I know y'all don't like the yees and the yangs, but this is that ye simply means it's plural. He's not speaking in to just one person. He's speaking to all of us in this context. It's, it has a plural application. You do well that all of us take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Powerful verse of Scripture. Then Paul, uh, Peter says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. No man conspired uh, to produce this. It was supernatural unction that will later be captured in pen. He said, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Isn't that powerful? Man, I'm telling you what, a Presbyterian could preach from that if he had. And so, let's read a little further. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 11. So, I'm kind of at the beginning of the epistle, kind of at the end of the epistle, kind of weave a little bit of these thoughts together. He says here, seeing then... That all these things shall be dissolved. What things is he talking about? Certainly it seems as he's talking about uh, the earth and at the return of Christ. This seems to have a cataclysmic moment. It's a, perhaps it's eschatological. It is uh, end times. And so he said, seeing all these things shall be dissolved. And I don't preach that often on end time things and, that, and, and along that line. But, but I certainly believe that there will come a day when there will be a consummation. All things will, will, will be restored as uh, God's original intention. He said, so all these will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be? Man, that ought to be a stimulus for us, he's saying. He's saying, seeing everything around us that we know is going to change, he said, that should move us to walk in a godly conversation in the King James context is a lifestyle, in all holy lifestyle and godliness. 
looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, he says, we, according to his promise, the promise of Jesus, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And we look for that. Isaiah recorded it. Jesus also said it in the book of Revelation. Wherefore, beloved, once again, speaking to us and to the church, in essence, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. I'll tell you, God is long-suffering. I mean, the world is evil and wicked, but we have a loving, merciful God, right, who's, who's longing for the souls of men to repent. He said, even though, now notice this, I love these last couple of verses because the Apostle Paul is mentioned, and it's as if Peter is giving an affirmation to both his ministry and his letters. He said, even as our beloved brother Paul, why is that important? Because I preached from Paul last week, and we're going to tie those together today. Also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So his essence is saying, as Paul has written certain epistles, what I'm saying, Peter is saying, is very similar to what he said. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. He said, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or twist, you can say, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destructions. And he said, ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware. There's a warning from the apostle. Lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I know some of you already are going, oh, pastor's not going to preach about me getting a new car for Christmas. No, I'm not. I'm going to give you something far greater than that, a more sure word. Come on, somebody, a more sure word. That's what I want to talk to you about today. So let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm thankful for the word of God today. I ask that the Holy Spirit, God, would certainly add his agreement. Father, if I have had an anointing in preparation, I pray that there'll be an anointing in preaching. But I certainly pray for the people, God, for every person's heart and mind, Father, to receive and to be responsive to the things that are said today. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Now, let me go ahead and just jump in for just a moment of time, if I might, because I want to draw your attention just very, very briefly to what I preached last week. Now, I preached last week in a message tied, entitled, Is There a Correlation? And it, be, it kind of began with the context that Paul said, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the last days. So he used this time, last days, and there's a familiarity to it. Now, last days has different applications. It depends upon what particular camp that you are in when you make that application. And I wasn't there to try to bring this uh, from a certain viewpoint other than I said that I believe that the time frame that Paul describes in that particular passage, uh, if I look around in the culture in which we live in America, I believe there's a correlation. I wasn't here trying to sell anybody's book or any type of study on eschatology in any capacity. I was just simply saying there's a warning there. The apostle is giving us a warning because he warns of deception in the last days. He said in the eighth verse that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
And I don't know about you, I don't want to be one that is deceived, right? And so I want to counter that if I can. I want to be firmly convinced of these things. I drew your attention to the writings where Paul said, you know these things from your childhood, Timothy. He said, and you, thou hast been assured of them. And, and I want us as a collective people to be assured of these things, to have a confidence. Because the reality is the culture is shifting around us. And, and if, I, if I'm just being honest, the culture has shifted around us. Maybe 15 years ago, 25 years ago, it was shifting, but it has shifted now, and uh, we are becoming the minority. And one of the points that I was making, and I wasn't trying to create fear, that's just not the type of person that I am. Paul said, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall see persecution. And so there's a, an, an anticipation that we may not just live in our little cush environment in the Western world while Christians suffer around the world, but we may face some of this uh, anti, the spirit of antichrist, it right here, even in uh, the familiarity of our own country. Now, what I wanted to share with you for a moment today is, I, knows, I noticed in my studies a correlation between 2 Timothy and 2 Peter. And if I can do that for a moment, I'm building a foundation, and I'll just kind of speak on this just real quickly. Because I'm telling you, if I want to heed anybody today, I, it's not CNN, and it's not even Fox News. Right? It's not ABC or NBC. But I'll tell you what, I want to know what these men that said I was the I, I was an eyewitness. Peter said I was there on the holy mount. So therefore I have a more sure word of prophecy. I have something that's settled, that I know, that's validated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so both of these two apostles in these two particular epistles were written by apostles who were aged. And in this context, they both knew that their deaths were near. If you make the comparison, both knew by supernatural revelation that they were going to die. And so very soon. And so they're giving almost as if there's a final word of encouragement. One is to Timothy individually. The other is to the church in essence in generally. Both address a time known as the last days. You will find those two words in both of these epistles. Both warn of false teachers and false prophets, both of which, right, of a specific time in which there would be deception. So if you have false teachers and false prophets, then inevitably you're going to have false teaching. You're going to have heresy, and you're going to have fables. And Peter's even contrasting the fables and saying, as, as wonder, as, as, uh, as provocative as this is, as amazing as this account is about this man who lived and walked and did miracles and emptied graveyards out and opened blind eyes and cleansed the lepers and walked on water and calmed the storm. He said, as a man, I know your mind struggles to, to believe that that really happened. He said, that is not a fable. I was there. Right? That's why I'm, I'm, I feel that today. Peter said, I was there. It's not a fable. Both warned that many will be deceived. I want you to hear that today. Both warn of a particular time in human history when many will be deceived. Both teach the need to remember their doctrine. Did you both say, you know what, remember. Peter said, I want to, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, chapter 1, his flesh, he said, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And so, Apostle Paul echoed a similar thing to Timothy and say, you remember my life, my lifestyle, how I lived, my doctrine. Emulate my doctrine, in essence. 
Both teach the need for you and I to study to know the truth. It's not just going to have, you can't just download this. I know that we are the generation when you can have an unbelievable amount of information downloaded very quickly. But you can't do that with the knowledge of God. This is a progressive, lifelong pursuit of the revelation that comes to us by the Holy Spirit. Of growing in our understanding. Making our hearts pliable. Seeking the truth. Recognizing that if there's truth, then there is error. Recognizing that if there is something that is authentic, then there is something that is counterfeit. And if I, get, if I don't know the true, then I can quickly make an exchange for that which is counterfeit. You know, they tell us that those that are uh, experts in determining counterfeit money don't gain that eye to recognize it by studying counterfeit money. But rather, they study the authentic And once they have been firmly convinced and have a picture image of the authentic in their mind, then they can easily recognize the counterfeit. You know why there's a lot of deception in our generation? It's because we've not looked longingly enough. Come on, we've not looked longingly enough at that which is authentic and true. And I want to be a part of those that say, God, I want a fixed image in my mind of the truth. So both apostles exhort us. Both affirm the inspiration of Scripture. I'll talk about that in a few short minutes. Both affirm the divine oracles that sit in your lap today. Or perhaps are even downloaded on a phone. Or perhaps we put it on the screen. But it doesn't matter in that sense of the, of the, of the mechanics behind it. It was divinely inspired. Both of these men believe that it's a sacred, holy document. Let's go a little bit farther. Both teach the need for a godly lifestyle. Now, I know it's when y'all stop shouting me down right there. Both teach the need. Peter said, listen, all this is going to be burned up. You better get your act together is what he said. Right? And I'm not saying in order to be saved. He's saying as a, pro- a byproduct of your salvation. Demonstrate your faith through a, con- a changed life. Let him work in you to the degree that it produces a changed life. And bur- both affirm the belief in and following the scriptures as essential to becoming who God's called you to be. Remember, Paul closed off the, the passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for exhortation, and for instruction. That the man or slash woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There's no other way. There's no other way for you to mature in faith and to be able to walk a godly and a holy lifestyle and to be able to teach good doctrine because what's been taught to you is good and therefore you pass it to others that are around you unless you study to show yourself approved unto God. Unless you determine in your heart that you're not going to be caught up into the wave of error or heresy or fables that we're living in today. Now, I don't know about you. The outcome of that, the end of that is the very... Um, intimidating. It's, it's it, it, the thought that, that you could actually be pulled away from covenant communion with God as a result of the error of the heresy or the doctrine that we're seeing float around us. Paul said these evil men and seducers would grow worse and worse. The reality is persecution is mounting even in these United States. Can I take a moment of time to call time out? And to go ahead and share with you, this is from the U.S., not from, the, from uh, uh, some colleges and, you know, Martin Luther, and I'm not talking about Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, who with his 95 Theses started the Reformation in Wittenberg, Germany. Martin Luther literally, without knowing, prophesied 
that he said he believed that the public schools, not just the high schools or elementary schools, but the entire education system, that if it doesn't keep at its basis a belief in the Word of God as the basis for all education, that he said, I believe that those schools will then become nothing more than the gateway to hell. I'm not quoting it exactly, but I'm paraphrasing his words, and you can look it up. He had, a, he had a recognition. Well, let me take you into just a few things that have happened recently in the year calendar year 2018 right here in these United States. A student was ejected for telling his professor that there were only two genders. Well, that's a good place to say, really? Yes, he was ejected. Now, I know this is what... He was ejected from his Christianity class. He was rejected from his Christianity class at Indiana University of Pennsylvania because his professor, his professor is uh, an extreme feminist theology, the, theology, excuse me, professor, and she had just uh, promoted a, 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 a transgender ex-pastor's discussion on the reality of mansplaining and sexism for men and male privilege, and she kicked him out and would not allow him to come back because she wouldn't allow any men to speak. But that's not in a secular class. That's in a Christianity slash 101 class. Now, fortunately, after an 18-day exile, the, the college pr pr uh, president overturned her decision. But how amazing it is that the person that is shaping the young minds in this class right here, here's the class, Christianity 481, Self, Sin, and Salvation. Let's go just a little bit farther. There was another incident recently, even sooner than this, when this was on one of the most liberal count, uh, uh, campuses in the United States, United, uh, uh, California, Berkeley. And so you see Berkeley. And this one was a really, this one is really confusing. It's too long for me to take, to, to, to go through it. But this was because a young lady who is a, a Senate, a student senator, um, here's the only thing that she did. She, she, she chose to abstain from a vote by the student body because the student body had been pressured by a particular organization. This organization um, is, uh, let me just see if I can find that, the Queer Alliance Resource Center had asked this, that's the actual name of the organization, QARC, asked the student body to condemn Trump's administration proposed definition of sex under Title IX. And so and she wrote a letter that's very affirming and kind and just saying that, 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 that she recognized there's all kinds of differences and thus and so on, and you can read the, the letter, uh, but, and as a result, though, she didn't hold those particular uh, you know, perspectives, and so she was abstaining from voting. That's all it was. She was going to abstain. She wasn't going to vote neither for nor against. She was just going to abstain. As a result, there was a, an entire campus-wide backlash against her, and she was described as a bigot. She was described as homophobic. Uh, she was uh, uh, attacked to the degree that she no longer felt safe on campus. She would have to be escorted to uh, her campus by uh, other people, all just because she was not affirming, not because she was even standing out against or speaking out against anything at all. She just simply wasn't affirming this particular 
uh, stance by a particular group of people. And I won't, for the sake of time, go into it. And though the newspaper on campus uh, called her comments violent, hypocritical, and bigoted. Let's go one last further just example. I just want you to show this because we live in a little shell called right here in Heber Springs. But let me tell you, this darkness is pushing in. And there's a pressure that's mounting. And many are following, and we are giving in because, why? Because we don't know the truth. And I've said it many times, and I'm going to say it again. The truth is the only thing that will set men free. It's only if we hold the authentic in front of them can their hearts ever be warmed to the, to the degree that they repent before God. If we don't hold the truth in front of them, then we have robbed them of the opportunity to know and have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. This last one is a Michigan University stripped the official status of a Christian student group on campus because it required its leaders to be Christian. Yes, I know that you, that they, because it was not exclusive and because it was discriminating. Though the this Christian organization had been there for over 75 years on this campus, this was all in calendar year 2018. Now, they too, after a threatening lawsuit, were allowed to come back on campus. Thank God for some people will stand up. Thank God some will stand up and say, we're not going to be intimidated. Right? And so I think it's fair to say that there is a correlation. Paul said, all that will godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I don't think that I'm out here trying to sell the best-selling book on the end of times and, and Middle East and all this by simply warning the people that are listening in this audience today that there's been a shift in our culture around us. And at one time, Christians and their, the morality and, the, and who we are and what we stand for was appreciated by even non-believers, but that no longer is the case. And we have lost our voice as the voice of conscience. But I want to tell you this. The world hated Jesus. That's what he said himself in John chapter 15. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And listen what he said. If they have persecuted me, then they're going to persecute you also. And I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. One of the problems that I've had with the rapture doctrine in the Western world is we think that we're going to just be preserved from any persecution while persecution happens all throughout the third world countries and in different places. But it seems to me that we better wipe up that sleepy eye and wipe that sand out and look around us because men and women are being persecuted for what they believe right now. And we better know what we believe and be firmly convinced of it. Scripture warns of opposition to the light and to the truth. John said this. He said, this is Jesus' words. John records it. Everyone that doeth evil hates the light. They hate the light, neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, men will resist the truth. 2 Peter 3, men pervert or twist the Scriptures. Paul said in Romans 1, men hold the truth in unrighteousness. Paul said there are those that will profess to be wise, but they have become fools. That's powerful right there. They profess to be wise, but they too have become fools because they say there is no God. They say this, they have changed the truth into a lie. They don't like to retain the knowledge of God. Uh, Paul said in Romans 1 and 28, 2 Peter 2 and 2 said the way of truth is evil spoken of. You better hear that today real quickly. The way of truth, the basis of belief, that which you hold dearly in your heart is now being evil spoken of right here in our own country. 
And we have to be aware of this. 2 Peter 2 and 12, they speak evil of things that they understand not. There's been such a shift uh, right in front of our eyes when the culture around us calls that which is evil good and that which is good evil. And many Christians are blinded to us and we're just like sheep that are led to the slaughter, being led away into unbelief. And doctrine in the church in America is often perverted, twisted, and distorted. I've said it, and I'll keep saying it. I'm not a negative person, but I am on a little moment where I am pointing out some things that I believe to be an error. And I have a clear conviction of it. And I love my church family. And when you come together, I want us to enjoy this moment. But that doesn't mean that I don't warn you of things that are yet to be or things that are even happening around us. And I caution you today to know what you believe. I see this in, the, in, our, in our own in, in churches in the United States. We affirm sinful behaviors. We become self-centered, self-seeking. We preach texts in the Word of God out of context that lack harmony of Scripture. We've painted God as a sugar daddy. That's all he is to many Christians in the American world. We call him, he's the fire department to us. We just call him when we've got a fire we can't put out. But we're not submitting our will to him on a daily basis. That's where we're arriving at today. I want to say this just very, very quickly. About, there is a constant pressure in the culture. And this is the basis of it right here. There is a constant pressure in the culture for the church to affirm sinful lifestyle. I'm just going to let, y'all didn't give me a very good amen. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to preach it whether y'all respond or not because it's the, compel, it's the compulsion that's in my spirit. There is a constant pressure that's tapping away at the strength of the church, tapping away at the strength of the church, wanting us to not be, we all want to be, I, I, I will live my life being kind to everybody. I will live my life, I will come down and the most, most, uh, most uh, evil criminals or sinful men that you can imagine, if I walk down from this platform, I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to walk in the love of God, but I'm not going to affirm an ungodly lifestyle. I don't care who tries to put that pressure on me. I want to say this today just very quickly. The kingdom of God has always been exclusive. Pastor, that is totally opposite of the inclusion. Jesus said, you want to be a part of my kingdom, you must be born again. He said, if you're not born again, you can be religious, you can have a tolerant spirit, you can go to church, but if the indwelling Holy Spirit is not residing inside your spirit, then you will not see eternal, eternal life. It's always been exclusive. Let me go one farther than that. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, here's what the Apostle Paul said. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just go ahead and put it out there. He said, know ye not, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. There's a deception to deceive us to think that God is going to receive into his kingdom those that are not genuinely born again with the fruit of the Holy Spirit being manifested in their lives. He said, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, or revilers shall inherit the kingdom of God. So I'm going to say this with a great clarity. The kingdom of God has always been exclusive. It belongs to those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we've made him the Lord of our lives. 
And you know what? When I was studying several months ago when I was on that little sabbatical and I was reading about the writings of an ancient historian who had uh, firsthand accounts of many of the, uh, of the martyrdoms of the martyrs of the first and second and third century and, and has reported them in his writings the one thing that I took a giant step back and I looked at and I said, you know what? These men were not burned at the stake or fed to the lions because they were a benevolent organization. Rome wasn't taking Christians and burning them at the stake or slaughtering them in their uh, amphitheaters because they were passing out uh, food at Thanksgiving time. Rome was burning them because the Christians refused to bow before their gods. Rome was burning them because the Christians refused to say Caesar was Lord. Because they said Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus the Christ is Lord. And Rome was burning them because they refused to adapt and adjust their lifestyle to the perverted, distorted lifestyle that the Romans lived. And that they called the lifestyle of the Romans unrighteous before God. And as a result, there was a massive persecution against the church. And that's why I'm coming along to tell you today, church saying we got to guard ourselves. You better know in what you believe. Listen to what Paul said. Y'all stay with me. He said we got to continue in what we have learned. Did y'all hear that? That's what Paul said. I know you said, Pastor, we were with Peter today. That's right, but they're in correlation. What have you been assured of? Do you know that? From a child, have you known the Holy Scriptures? Peter said this. He said, beware lest you too become led astray with the air of the wicked, and you fall from your own steadfastness. Now, I want to go today as I prepare to close this message to something that's really been in my heart over the last few weeks and even several weeks before then, and I'm kind of going and taking the men of the other side on this journey that's just helped me, and I want to go out with the bang here today. I'm assured of the truth of the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. Come on, somebody. Peter said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. See, everybody's got a worldview. I want a word view. Come on, everybody's got a, an ideology of what they think. I want a theology based upon the unchanging truths of the word of God. I don't believe that God wrote this word in such a way that we cannot understand it. Peter said, the unstable rest the scriptures to their own destruction. I'm telling you, you don't have to have a Ph.D. to understand the Word of God. All you have to have is a pliable heart. That's all it takes is just a willingness to say, Father, teach me. And if, I'm being, if I have a willing spirit, then I'll be taught the Word of God. Do you understand? Do you, are you convinced that what you have there in your hand is the living, authoritative Word of Almighty God? You know, it is my belief that the world and all things therein will be burned up one day because we read it in the Apostles' writing. But there's one thing. That fire cannot quench. Come on, somebody. There's one thing that cataclysmic events cannot alter, and that is the authority of the Word of God. The Scripture itself says that when the heavens have passed away and the earth has been folded up like a blanket and put away, he said, the Word of Almighty God shall endure forever. I'm firmly convinced of these things. I've built my entire life, the foundation of who I am, and the concepts of faith that I possess to pass to my children and my children's children are based upon the more sure word of prophecy. I believe these, when you say, Pastor Brown, well, we have men that have, they have all these degrees and they've studied in our great universities. I don't care. I'm putting my faith and my 
trust in a simple fisherman that said, I was there when he healed the sick. I was there when he called Jairus' daughter from the grave. I was there when he pointed into Lazarus' tomb and told Lazarus to come out four days dead. I was there when he stilled the seas. I was there on that fateful day when he was killed on a cross and buried and put in a tomb. And I was there when the stone was rolled away and he was born. Come on, he was raised again. I was there. That's who I'm putting my faith in. I'm believing that eyewitness account, and I believe we got a more sure word of prophecy. I've got a word that the community, you've got a word that they need to hear. They need to stop believing the lies and believe the truth. You've got to be convinced of it. What about the scriptures in closing today? Can I do that? I'm at point number six, and I'm way ahead. Way ahead. So y'all better get ready. This is going to be good. Listen to this. What about the Word of God? Have you often thought about this? Peter said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. What about the Scriptures? Paul said, from a child, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now, as Paul is writing this, now remember, I made the correlation, Peter and Paul. And with that said, as the apostle is writing that, the apostle Paul, the Scriptures to him were not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were not Acts, Romans, and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and culminating with the book of Revelation. It was Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It was the law. It was 1st and 2nd Samuel. It was the kings. It was the prophets. And it was the Psalms and the writings. And Jew, Timothy was a Jew on his mother's side. He was a Greek on his father's side. But if you read his epistles, Paul told Timothy, he said, he said, the genuine faith that's in you, Timothy, was first in your grandma. Listen, grandma, you can make a difference. Well, you can make it. Two men shaped the world, Charles and John Wesley. And their faith, their passionate pursuit from God came from being nursed at the breast of their mother who passed a living, vibrant faith into them. Listen, you can make a difference. You can make a difference by passing a belief system that's strong and sure in the authority of the Word of God. And so when we, when we see this and we see Paul is writing to Timothy, he said, he said this, it was faith was first in your mother or your grandmother and it was in your mother and now it's in you. And you know what kind of faith? He called it genuine faith. Genuine faith has to be placed in the genuine word of God to make it authenticated before God. I'll tell you what, I don't want to stand before God and I don't have an authentication to my faith. I want God to be able to look and say yes because you put your faith in what I said. So let's go for just a moment of time. You and I trust in the Word of God. We have it caught. It's caught in pages put here on lambskin, perhaps a, a thin paper with, with ink, jet, printers in today's time. Uh, but, but what was the origination point? And I've really gone through great depths to try to share this with the men at the other side. And I'm certainly not an authority uh, in this capacity, but just for a moment of time real quickly. Uh, and the, the origination of man communing with God and God communing with man was by by, by first hand or by angelic visions and dreams or by a word or a quickening thing in their heart and their mind. Um, when Moses first went to Pharaoh and demanded that the children of Israel be let go, he did not have an authenticated passage of the word that he could point to. He had an experience born out of the fiery bush and the burning bush where he was confident that signs and wonders would take place, but he had no word or scripture. But when God led the children of Israel by Moses back to Mount Sinai, the scripture says that the fire of God came down on the mountain. And Moses went up into the presence of God. 
And the children of Israel heard a voice that day. They heard a voice, the voice that had not been heard uh, audibly in that sense since God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And I alluded to this just briefly last week, but I'm not finished with it. I, I had to cut it off before I finished because I want to take you into it a little bit more because I want you to have a more sure word of prophecy today. And so at that moment of time, and I want you to see this, I've learned over my, in my studies that that is one of the most significant events in all of human history because we have an invisible God known as Elohim, the creator, who revealed his glory on that moment, but not to one man that would create a cult, but to two million men and women and their children that were gathered around the base of the mountain. And the mountain burned with fire, and there was flaming uh, fires and, and lightning bolts, and there was dark thunder clouds uh, and smoke and billow and flame and everything that you can imagine. And a voice was heard speaking. Remember that a voice was heard speaking out of that fire. And that voice spoke the ten, the ten commandments. And the people heard it. And they backed away in fear. And maybe rightfully so because of the awesomeness of that moment. But when Moses went up on the mountain, God gave him two tablets of stone. And God himself wrote... Moses didn't go up there and chisel that thou shalt this and thou shalt that. No, God, by his finger, wrote on the tablets. It's called the Ten Commandments. So the Word of God, the Logos of God that you have in your lap today originated not by human hands, but by the finger of the living God. I've already got to spitting again. By the finger of the living God. And then later, listen to this, God told Moses, he said, after the tenor of these words, I want you to write, in accordance with these words. And so from that day forward, God would give us not only the prophetic word, but the written word. The, the written word would first start as the prophetic word. God, or through the, uh, the prophet, would hear the voice of God. It would either be in his ear or bubble up out of his spirit. He would speak it and declare it, and a scribe or the prophet himself would capture it, and it would be authenticated as the word of Almighty God. The Jewish people preserved it and kept it, and it kept them through dark days and difficult times. And ultimately, at the time of Jesus, Jesus was very much convinced it was the word of God. Jesus called the scriptures that you hold in your lap the word of God. Did you hear that? Let me say that again because you're not responding very well. Jesus confirmed the scriptures. Did you know that Jesus himself quoted from 24 books of the 39 books of the Old Testament? Auth giving an authenticity to them. From his perspective. Why his perspective? Why did it matter? Well, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Come on, the same came and was from God. Let me go a little bit farther with this. Jesus himself quoted 78 times from the writers of the Old Testament. 78 times he gives reference. You can go to his own writings and he'll say things like this. Have you never read in the scriptures? He said, you do err because you do not know the word of God nor the power of God. He said, have you not remembered what David did? Do you not remember what happened in the days of Noah? You know why I believe in the, in the creation account? Because a man named Jesus said, in the beginning, God created them male and female. You know why I believe there are two genders? Because a man named Jesus said, in the beginning, God created them. Not male, female, and maybe somewhere in the middle. God created them male and female. And that's why I believe it. Because God said it. Come on, somebody. And Jesus confirmed it by his own authoritative word. And you say, well, who is that person, Jesus? What gave him the authority 
to do so? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter number 18, the prophet Moses said that there will come a day that God will raise up a prophet from among you. He said, he's going to be like unto me, and you need to hear him. Who was that prophet? It wasn't the apostle Peter. It wasn't the apostle Paul. It wasn't any of the prophets that would be forthcoming like Elijah or Elisha. But it was the man, Christ Jesus, that that prophet came that began to speak the authoritative word of God. And that's why I told you last week, Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1 says that God at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto us in times past by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, who is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. And that's why John said, in the beginning He was the Word, He came forth out of God, and He was God. And Moses brought us the law, John 1 and 14, but grace and truth. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And he spoke the word. And you say, well, what validated his doctrine? Two things at least validated his doctrine. One was his resurrection. I believe his resurrection, don't you? I wasn't there. But he lives inside of me. You say, how do you know he lives, preacher? Well, because he lives inside of me. Right? I was not there, but I believe the eyewitness accounts. But so his own resurrection validated his doctrine. But there's another that validated Jesus' ministry. Who was that? That was the voice. The voice. What voice? The voice that spoke on Mount Sinai. That voice that declared the Ten Commandments. That when this man Jesus, at 30 years of age, was baptized in the river Jordan, the heavens parted and the dove descended. But a voice was heard. This is my Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That voice was heard again in John chapter number 12. When Jesus prayed and said, Father, he said, I want to glorify you and glorify your name. And Jesus, heard, they heard the voice. Some said it thundered. Others said, no, that's not thunder. That was the authoritative voice of God saying, I have glorified it once and I will glorify it again. Confirming the person of Jesus. But the apostle Peter said, but I want to tell you about another time when I heard a voice. The apostle Peter said, Jesus had taken me, James and John, up on a mountain. And right in front of our eyes, he was transfigured. It wasn't that the glory glory from God came down upon him, but the glory of God that abode on the inside of him just stepped outside and covered his humanity. And at that moment, they held and they, they beheld the glory of God. And two men from eternity were present and spoke to him. One was Moses representing the law. The other one was the prophets, Elijah representing the prophets. And they were speaking about his death. And when all that passed, Peter was walking down the mountain with Jesus and he made this statement and he said Lord it is good for us like we say oh it's been good to be at church Peter said Lord it's been good to be in church he said we're going to build you three tabernacles one for you one for Elijah and one for Moses and all of a sudden the same glory of God that had set on Mount Sinai 2500 years earlier fell on that mountain that day and a man I'm preaching way better than y'all a voice was heard and that voice said this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And the apostle Peter, writing near the end of his life, and is trying to challenge the church, and he's saying, I was there on that mountain that day, and I heard this voice, it was supernatural. There's no way it could be replicated. It was the authoritative voice of God, and it spoke to us. 
and we were eyewitnesses of his majesty and of his glory. Let me tell you today, church family, if you have a word view, it's going to contrast with the worldview that's in front of you today, and you have to know what you believe. Do you believe the word of God, or do you believe the fables of men? Peter said we didn't follow cunningly, listen to this, cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses of his glory. Hallelujah, isn't that powerful? Can I close with one last thing? What a powerful thing today. The scriptures. Peter said we have a more sure word of prophecy. Now, ironically, when you think about this, we have the New Testament. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So only two of which were written by people that perhaps were, were certainly that were apostles, Matthew and John. Then we have Mark who followed from afar, and we have Luke who traveled with the apostle Paul. And then we have the majority of the New Testament written to us, not by, given to us not by the apostle Peter, but by the apostle Paul. When you think about that for just a moment of time, you say, well, then how can we say that that is a scripture in that sense? Because he didn't walk with Jesus or talk with Jesus, and he did not. Paul described his own life this way. He said, I was a man born out of time. That's what he said. I was a man like a man born out of time. But he did have a firsthand account and a first eyewitness experience on the Damascus Road, didn't he? And once again, that voice spoke to him out of the light. Come on now, that voice, that voice, that voice spoke to him. But here's how you can have great trust today that Pauline epistles, two-thirds of the entire New Testament, is the authoritative word of God because the apostle Peter said, who was an eyewitness of his glory, said, let me tell you also, the things that I'm writing to you, Peter said, he said, they're almost just like what this man Paul's writing to you. And then Paul said, Paul, excuse me, the apostle Peter said that his writings were the same as the other scriptures. And when the apostle said that, he gave a validation from his position as an eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus and the holy voice heard on the mountain that what Paul wrote corresponded or correlated with what he wrote. And therefore, you have a more sure word of prophecy. Both warn of a dangerous time in the last days when many are led astray. Why? Why are we led astray? Because we don't know what we believe. When we're not firmly convinced of these things. The scriptures teach us to be aware. I know that people go to church today because they want to feel good. We're going to give you your coffee and donuts. And your support group. I believe in all those things. I guess. Listen, you can have all that. Just give me the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I'll stand alone on the word of God. That's what's my stimulus here today. I want the word to be preached and taught. I want to be sharpened by it. I want the word to pierce my consciousness when I come to the house of God. I want to feel something that we are shunning in our generation, even Christians. It's called conviction. If you show me truth and I'm in error, I want the Holy Spirit to grip my heart until I wrench my own heart before God and say, God, forgive me in Jesus' name. I want to be right with you. We're not going to see authentic repentance if we don't preach an authentic gospel. And so I warn you today, church family, and I'm not a 
end-time preacher. I'm just not. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm an encourager. I don't know about the, when Jesus is coming. I live my life on the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That means before I can say goodbye to the last person and walk over to Harps and get a bucket of chicken to go home with, a trumpet could sound and Jesus could appear. That's right. That's how I live my life every day. That's how I want to live my life. But I want to say this. I believe we have a correlation in the writings of two apostles, two, not one, two, that warned us of a time at the core, at the core was error created by false teaching. Many times that false teaching emanates from within the four walls of a facility called the church. You better make up your mind. Know who you believe. Trust in the word of God. Peter said this. Stand up with me. Daryl, you coming back with me in closing today. I believe it's, uh, last week I led everybody down to the altar for one uh, final exhortation. Probably wrong not to do something akin to that today. Both apostles exhort us to guard ourselves. Don't they, church family? Is that real preaching? Let me ask you today. If these two men that gave us the majority of the New Testament, and along with John, and John, too, was on the Holy Mount, John himself said, our eyes have seen, our hands have handled the word of life. Let me ask you this today. If those three men, Peter, John, and Paul were, certain, were suddenly dropped down in the church of America today. Do you think they would preach a lot of the stuff that we hear or see preached in Christian television and in, under the context of the contemporary church of today's time? Do you think they would? I, I'm going to be honest. I don't think they would. I think they'd do just what they did. 2000, they'd contend for righteousness. They'd point to Jesus. They'd look to the redemptive work of the cross they had highlight the value and the virtue of his blood. They had point us to a, a day of the righteous wrath of God being revealed. Did y'all hear that? They would point us to that day. And they would caution us to live a godly life. They would, wouldn't they? I believe they would also say, make sure you know what you believe. Because there's a lot of counterfeit out there. And if, the only way to be able to recognize the counterfeit is to have studied the truth so intently that you don't have to think on it. When you see counterfeit, you don't have to go, oh, that looks, that's almost, no, you just know immediately because you've looked at the truth. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed in the presence of God. It's the noon hour. I thank God for his word today, and I'm not saying from the word that I preached. I thank God for the word I read.